0: Doing this morning? Good morning! Thank you, Chris. Thank you. For that warm welcome. Good. Y'all can find your way back to your seats. Man, it's such a good good day to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I wanted to say, I want to start off uh, by saying thank you guys so much for last week and for the Uh, Just the reception that y'all gave uh, my family and myself last week. Uh, We're so grateful for just the love that we have felt from this church um, already. Um, Y'all know moving across state lines and moving from one church to another can really be difficult. Um, Leaving one church family and coming to a new one. But that's really what it's felt like since we've been here is... Um, it, it's felt like family, and y'all um, are, are just so incredible and so welcoming, and we thank you so much for that, for welcoming us. Um, speaking of family, I have some church family uh, from Atlanta or Snellville, Snow Mountain area, wherever you're more familiar with, here with us. Um, actually, my pastor, Joe, his wife, um, one of our good friends, Chloe, and her kids, they're all here. Um, they came to, to to see us and visit and to support. And so, um, just wanted to, if y'all see them, give them a nice welcome and a hug and make them feel as welcome as y'all as y'all have made us so welcome yeah. so any anything that I do that you don't like, just blame Pastor Joe. So um, I'll pass the buck on him, I'm just kidding. Um. But no, just seriously, we're so thankful um, for this church and for the opportunity to be here and to be able to grow along with you and the opportunity to be able to get to know you guys. I know that um, I've only been in the office for a week, um, but I met some incredible people and I just look forward to uh, meeting more of you. but this has been my first week in the office, and um, really my mind has just been just racing uh, more than it ever has in, in my life, I think, just with like ideas of things to be able to do and, um, you know, just, just opportunities that that it, uh, Arlington has here to be able to, um, to reach the community around us and to be able to uh, make this place an environment where families and children, senior adults, young people all feel like this is a place where they can come and they can worship and they feel like that this is a place where they can grow in their relationship with Christ. And my like just got all these ideas to be able to do. And that's kind of like my, my nature, um, like I'm creative, but I'm also like a fixer, um, a, a problem solver. I try to find systems and different ideas of how to, to, to put things into place. Um, like, for instance, my wife, Casey, if she comes to me with a problem or something that's going on in her own life, my immediate response is to try to fix it, right? Do I have any guys that are like that? Here. Um, And she's like, I don't want you to fix this problem. I just want you to listen, right? But that's just kind of my nature, right? That's kind of my nature to to want to try to fix things, try to like, even if there's nothing wrong, just to make improvements on things. But what's not necessarily in my nature is to stop, to be still, and to pray. Um, I'm a doer. I want to do things. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. But rarely do I stop and pray before I make decisions. Am I alone in this, or do we have more people like this in here? Y'all, come on, don't make me feel alone. All right. The church I left is so vocal, um, so y'all got to get loud with me, okay? But, but I'm, I'm like that. I've got, a, I've got a hard time just stopping and praying. Um, what I want to do over the next few weeks for Arlington is I want to, for us to build a culture of prayer here before we do anything else. Um, we were reading this morning just as the leadership team and the worship team, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where the word says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, there I will be in the midst of them, right? So that's what we long for. We want the movement of the Lord to be on this place. We, want to, we don't want to do anything in our own power, but everything that we do, we want to be able to look back and say, look at God, not look at us, right? Um, in fact, as we look at Scripture, the New Testament church was birthed primarily on the resurrection of Jesus, but then the first thing that they did was they went and they prayed right if you look at acts chapter 1 verse 14 acts chapter 1 verse all these scriptures so just a heads up okay i'm a bible guy I do a lot, a lot of scripture whenever I preach. Um, I believe the more scripture that I read, the more God speaks and the less that I speak. So we're going to go through tons of scripture today. So if you want to just jot some scripture down on the side, instead of having to flip to the pages, we've got to have them on the screen for you. Um, But also um, you can write those down so that you can refer to them later. But Acts chapter one, verse 14, it says that all these talking about the disciples, there are about uh, 120 of them in this room, right after Jesus resurrected it said all these disciples they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers and then in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to what Prayers. prayers this is the New Testament church Right, right before or right after Acts chapter one verse fourteen, the Holy Spirit comes and it falls, and it says that three thousand souls came to know Christ. The church just boomed after that. And then in Acts chapter four verse twenty-three through thirty-one, Peter and John had just been into prison, and they were released from prison, and then they went back to the disciples, and this is what they said. What the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31, it says, And when they were released, talking about Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, it says that they lifted their voices together to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, this is their prayer that they're praying together, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings, of, the kings of the earth uh, set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27 says, For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had planned and predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see what their prayer is? Yes, we're facing persecution, persecution. Yes, we just came out of prison. But please, God, give us more boldness. Verse 30 says, while you stretch out your hand to heal in signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So I want this church to be a church where we pray, we seek the Lord, we seek the Lord in his presence. And we ask him for boldness, even in the midst of a dark culture. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 13. This is Jesus. Remember, he's sitting um, aside, watching the money changers who were trading and they were making a profit on the, all the things that they were selling in God's house right this is what Jesus says it says and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of what prayer but you make it a den of robbers So first and foremost, we want this to be a place, a house of prayer because that's what God's word says it should be. A place where we seek the Lord, where we seek boldness from the Lord to be able to speak the word of God so that we can look back and say this isn't in our own power. So what I want to do for the next couple of months is what we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on um, what's, known, what's typically known as the Lord's Prayer, but we'll call it the Disciples' Prayer, where he teaches the disciples how to pray. So we're, we're going to start this week. Next week uh, we're going to do a Father's Day message called Kingdom Fathers and we're going to have donuts and coffee as Lynn told us earlier. So, so if you're a dad or just a guy who are a future father, um, come next Sunday, we're going to have a gift for you. We're going to have coffee, we're going to have donuts, and we're going to, we just want to, we want to celebrate men in this church and all that God has called you to do, um, especially in leading as fathers. So we're going to, we're going to do that next week. Um, And then after that, we're going to go through prayer some more. We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to go through the Psalms, and we're going to pray the Psalms together for 50 days and go through a series of messages like that. But... The main point of this message today is that God desires that we would be a church that prays to him as a holy father. That's the main point. God desires that we would be a church that prays to him as a holy father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a good and loving father. God, we we don't want to speak empty phrases into the sky. We want to communicate to the Creator of the universe. God, we long and we desire for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit in this place. As we approach your throne of grace with confidence, would you move in power in our hearts? As I preach the word, would you pierce our hearts? Would you make us more like Jesus? In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. So God desires that we would be a church that prays to him as a holy father. The first thing that I want us to see is that there is a right and a wrong way to pray. There are right and wrong ways to pray. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And then hold your finger in that place and then go to Luke chapter 11 as well. So we're gonna go back and forth. Matthew has an account of the Lord's Prayer. And then Luke also gives the same kind of different vantage point of um, the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' Prayer in Luke chapter 11. So Matthew chapter 6 will be in 5 through 13. And then Luke chapter 11, we're going to do 1 through 13. So if you turn in your Bibles there, that's where we're going to begin. The first thing I want us to see is that there are right and wrong ways to pray. Right and wrong ways to pray. Maybe you've never thought about that before. But if you look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Luke 11, verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So you get this picture that Jesus, as he often did, retreats to go and pray. Maybe the disciples witness this through his life, and maybe they catch a glimpse. um, They hear what he's doing. They see what he's doing, and they say, listen, I was raised in a certain way, and that's not how I prayed. Jesus, can you teach me how to pray? And that's what Jesus does. The disciples approach him and say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So, if you turn back over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8, this is how Jesus responds according to Matthew's account. And starting in verse 5, Jesus gives us instruction on how not to pray first, right? Look at verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Verse 7 says, And when you pray... Don't do this. He says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask them. So Jesus gives two examples here of what not to do, right, and one example of what to do. What to do, he says, he says, go into a secret place and pray. Now, that doesn't mean that this is, there's anything wrong with praying in public. But what Jesus is saying is whenever people, these people were praying in public, they were praying in public to get attention for themselves, right? That's what Jesus is implying. He says that those that are like hypocrites, they stand out there and they start to pray, all these lo- like long prayers, like the self-righteous prayer. And the motivation is, is that people will see their holiness and be like, yay, look how holy they are. Jesus says, don't do that because that praise from the people, that's the only reward that they're going to get. The Father in heaven, he doesn't reward that because he knows their motivation, right? Then he also says, don't go on praying and babbling with empty phrases like the Gentiles. So I guess in this, what my assumption is, is that Gentiles, they would just have like all of these like phrases that they would be saying, just going run on, run on, like, oh, okay, okay, check your watch. You done yet? Like, man, you just keep on going. Anybody ever had somebody pray like that before? It's like, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, our Father, our Father, Lord, Lord, you're just like, man, are you even saying anything? It's like, Lord God turns into a stutter or an um, you know what I mean? But they're not actually saying, there's no substance to what they're saying. It's like, and then, like, you ever had somebody pray in a way that it's like they're giving instruction Like at the end of a sermon, a pastor will pray, and Lord, as the people take a left out of the building and go down to the cafeteria and they eat, you know, like, you ever heard somebody pray like that? They're praying with instruction. It's not like they're talking to the creator of the universe. It's really, I'm just praying at these people so they know what they're supposed to do next. So Jesus is saying there are right and wrong ways to pray. Kind of a prevalent right now kind of um, heretical way to pray is, you ever heard of the name it and claim it kind of prayer? Where it's like if you just see something that you want, you claim it in Jesus' name, then it will be yours. God's obligated to give it to you. As if saying in Jesus' name is your superpower, you know, and then God is obligated to give it to you. I was one time actually... Um, I was talking to a guy at my former church, actually, and um, we we're standing here and across the street is this like, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous neighborhood. They got these beautiful, large houses and I say, like, oh, kind of like in jest. Man, I wish I had a house like that, you know, just in jest, that'd be cool. Um, and the guy turned to me and says, claim it in Jesus' name. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, claim it in Jesus' name. And I was like, first of all, Nowhere in Scripture does it say you can just look at something, claim it in Jesus' name, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be yours, like God's obligated to. But also, that kind of theology actually makes you feel guilty, right? Because what if you claim something in Jesus' name and you don't get it, then you feel guilty. Like, maybe I didn't have enough faith, or my, maybe God doesn't love me, maybe he's trying to, right? So that, that's, not, that's not how we're called to pray, or you ever heard of the, like, the gimme's, the, the prayers of the gimme's? Like, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. I'll I'll be honest, I'm not judging anyone. I've, you know, oftentimes that's that's how my prayers are marked. God, give me this. God, I need this. God, please, you see this. Can you give me this? And God, you know, I was talking to a friend recently, and he said before he came to Christ, his um his prayer life kind of consisted of the hypochondriac's prayer, where it was... um. God, protect me from cancer, don't let me get sick, Um, that I don't get an accident, you know, it's all just kind of like, just don't want to get sick, right? James chapter 4, verse 3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. He says to spend it on your own passions. So there are right and wrong ways to pray. And maybe sometimes that we ask things, it's because we want it for our own selves, right? We wanna spend it on our own passions, maybe our own pleasures. Jesus says, God knows your needs before you even say anything, right? So then why do we pray? That's a natural question, right? Following that, okay, if it's not just give me, if it's not this, that, then, then why do we pray? I want to argue to you that prayer is a communication with the God of the universe, to commune with him, to be in relationship with him, to fellowship with him. That's what prayer is. It's to spend time. Now, there are different facets of it where we do pray for other people, we pray for our needs, we, we, we cast all our cares on the Lord, Jesus says, but ultimately, as we're going to look at this passage of scripture, it's to spend time with God, Right? The second thing I want you to see is that prayer is actually expected of followers of Jesus. It's expected of us. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says in verse 5, and when you pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he says, and when you pray. Y'all get the emphasis? And when you pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 2 says, and when you pray. What's the assumption here? The assumption is that you will pray, right? It's not, Jesus isn't saying, hey, and if you pray, or if maybe you schedule it into your busy schedule, maybe if you can work this in here or there. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. There's this quote that I love um, by Charles Spurgeon. We should have it on the screen. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Look at this illustration. He says, just as the leaf and the fruit will come out of the vine without any conscious effort on the part of the branch, but simply because of its living union with the stem, so prayer buds and blossoms and produces fruit out of souls abiding in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, like, you look at a plant, it takes no effort for it to bud its fruit, right? It's just it's naturally what it's created to do. The fruit, the bloom comes out. And he's saying, like, when we commune with Jesus, when we fellowship with Jesus, when we spend time with the Lord, prayer is just an, a natural outgushing, an outflow of a Christian's life. When we pray, it should, as believers, it should just naturally come out of us. My prayer is that this is what it would be for us at Arlington, Right? That we wouldn't ha- think that we have to pray, but we get to pray. That it would naturally come out of us. Like our first response would be, let's pray before we make decisions, before we do anything. Let's pray. Let's pray. The text here implies that it's just expected for us as followers of Jesus to be a praying people. I often think about this as like a rel- my relationship with, with Casey, my wife, right? If... Whenever Casey and I were married, we went to the altar, right? She walked down the aisle, we greeted, we said our vows, and we gave a high five, said, all right, see you later, never to speak again. Would you say that we were married? No. We might have had a ceremony, somebody might have said some nice things, we might have said some vows, but that's not a marriage, right? We might have done an activity, but a marriage is after that, right? It's a relationship after that. What if I only checked in when I wanted something with Casey? How do you think that would go over? Like, all right, you, you live over here. I'm going to live over here. And um, I'll call you when I need you, right? Like I get, get tight in a bind, give her up. Hey, Casey, you got $1,000 I can borrow? Man, I've really worked myself into some debt. I'm struggling to pay. Um, can I borrow $1,000 from you? Or, hey, Casey, you got a lottery ticket I can, you know, I can win. You know the lottery numbers? Right? Isn't that kind of how we, repro- how we treat God, though? Hey, Casey, kids are sick. I need you to heal them real quick. That's not an actual relationship, right? That's not a relationship. And no one, no one would say that it was. See, my desire to know Casey as my wife naturally flows out of me, right? Y'all remember whenever you were dating your spouse? Um, And, you know, you would call each other and you'd be on on the phone for hours. Or maybe um, even before phones, you you would write letters to each other. And you couldn't wait to receive that letter because you wanted to hear from each other. You wanted to communicate with one another, right? I remember whenever we were dating, Casey and I, we wouldn't even, sometimes we wouldn't even say anything. We would just have the phone on there because we knew that we were connected that way, right? We just had the line open for communication whenever we wanted to talk to each other. I, I envision our prayer life like that. Jesus assumes that if you're in a relationship with God, then you would want to communicate with him. I fear that we are seeing a lack of God moving in our lives and in our churches in America because we're not praying. Either that or we're not praying in a way that has right motivations. I know I'm poking fun a little bit at how we pray, um, and maybe you're, you're like, okay, well, how do I pray? Well, I'm glad you're here because we want to be a church where we want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. And Jesus didn't judge the disciples when they said, how do we pray? He wasn't like, what, you don't know how to pray by now? Come on, right? No, no, no. We want to help. We want to grow with one another. The so first thing I want us to see is that we can approach God as a loving Father as we look at this text, right? As we look at the prayer that Jesus says, this is how you pray— we can first approach God as a loving father. Matthew 6, 9 says, pray then like this. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Luke eleven two 2 says the same thing. He says, he says to them, and when you pray, say, father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? So the first thing that Jesus says is you can approach God as a loving father. Isn't that awesome? See, the Old Testament refers to God as Father only 15 times. The whole Old Testament only refers to God as Father 15 times, and none of these are in the context of prayer. Did you know that? But in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, God is referred to as Father 65 times. In the book of John, God is referred to as Father 100 times. So in the New Testament, just the Gospels, God is referred to as Father 165 times, as opposed to 15 times in the Old Testament. Isn't that powerful? See, God was ushering in a new idea that we can approach God as a loving Father. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, 11 through 13, the same passage that we were in in 11, 13, just down at the bottom— Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish, or instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? What Jesus is saying is that if you and I who are sinful— If we're sinful people, we're fallen, we're broken, know how to provide for and give to our children the things that they need, how much more so will the God, the creator of the universe who is perfect, give us the things that we need? The example of the fish is something that we need instead of a scorpion, something that will hurt, right? God's not going to, okay, is that, that's what you need? Well, I'm going to give you something that hurts you instead. No, God is a loving father and he looks out for us and for our needs, An Old Testament example is from the Psalms in Psalm 103, 8 through 14. It will be on the screen. It says in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear them. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Do you get the picture that, that the psalmist is painting? God loves us so much. He shows compassion on us. So much so that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's a good, he's a loving, and he is a gracious father. I once heard a pastor say, if God loves me half as as much as I love my children, then I know I'll be all right. Now, I can totally understand what, what he means by that, having three kids myself. There's nothing, nothing that they will ever do to make me stop loving them. And I'm sinful and I'm a broken person. How much more so will the God, the perfect creator of the universe, love us? Isn't that a powerful thought? There's nothing that my kids would ever do to me. Maybe our fellowship would be broken if they decided to leave or like something like that, but that won't stop me from loving. I'll always love them. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, and I don't wanna pick on dads uh, because I are one, but I think that we oftentimes have daddy issues that we bring into this world, am I right? We've all got some, some daddy issues. If we were to go to counseling, counselor would probably make a beeline to the dad. I'm just kidding. Maybe it's not like that. But oftentimes we project our picture of a father based on our earthly fathers. Or we, we, we project our image of our heavenly father based on our earthly fathers. We, maybe our dads were short-tempered, right? Who would go off when we would ask him for something. And that's what we think about God—that God gets angry when we bring our desires to Him or our wants to Him. Maybe our fathers were condescending and made you feel stupid for not knowing certain things or asking silly questions. So we don't think that we can approach God with our questions and our doubts. That God's going to judge us or He's going to be condescending towards us because of how our earthly father was. Maybe they were actually physically abusive or verbally abusive, and we're afraid to bring God anything, or even to approach him. We just said, if God's a loving father, if God's a father, I don't want to have anything to do with him because of who my father is. And that's real. That's a real issue that people have in this world. Even the way that we project our thoughts as believers on who God is. Maybe you had a father who was a perfectionist or legalistic and expected nothing but perfect behavior. And every time you did something wrong, he would fly off the handle and he would go off on you. And you think, okay, I have to live this perfect life. Because if I step out of line, God's going to smack me upside the head. Maybe that's because of your earthly father. Can I tell you that God has revealed in his word and in the person of Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that God is never short-tempered. In fact, the Bible says that he is long-suffering. God is never condescending to our questions. He'd never make us feel guilty for bringing anything to him, questions or doubts. In fact, whenever um, a guy named Thomas approached Jesus and said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the, the scars in your hands, right, he didn't judge Thomas. He said, here, you can see. Go ahead. He lovingly and graciously showed himself to him. Maybe the worst thing is that you had a father that was absent, that left your family and just wasn't present. Maybe not even physically, but emotionally, he never was there. Can I tell you that God is always present by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always with you. Did you know that the creator of the world, the God of the universe, loves to spend time with you as his children? He loves to spend time with you. You are his child. Prayer isn't an obligation. It's not a show. It's not a spectacle. It's not about how many words that you even say. Sometimes it's just sitting in the presence of God. Prayer is fellowship and communion with a heavenly father who loved you so much that he would die for you. Fourth thing I want you to see is that we should desire that God's name be made holy. That God's name be made holy. Holy. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 same verse that we were studying today says Jesus says pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name Luke 11:2 says father hallowed be your name so hallowed or hallowed isn't really a word that we use that's common today but literally translated it means holy right Jesus says approach your god As a loving father, but your first desire is that he would be made holy. This is the first request that Jesus says to make, right? We haven't we haven't gone anywhere. We've just said Father, we haven't made any requests, we haven't made any petitions, we haven't interceded for anybody. Jesus says the first thing that you need to ask and seek is that God's name would be made holy. So holiness means to be set apart, right? To be other than, to be made special, to be made sacred. I think we live in a culture where nothing is really sacred anymore. And so our lives, the view that we, we see things, the church is no longer sacred, the word is no longer sacred, our bodies are no longer sacred, marriage is no longer sacred. We're taking everything holy out of everything. God, Jesus says, I want your desire, believer, if you're not a believer, you have a past, but if you're a believer, your desire is that God would be made holy right? That he would be made holy. So holiness is kind of a hard idea to, to explain. In fact, in Hebrew, like in, in the Hebrew language, they don't have uh, modifiers like very holy or the holiest. What they would do is they would repeat a word multiple times. So that's why you see in the text, holy, 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 right? Holy is holy. Holy, holy is really holy. Holy, holy, holy is the holiest, right? So they would repeat it often, like Jesus even did this whenever he would say, like, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. It's like saying, I'm emphasizing something here. And they said, holy, 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 they're saying, God is the holiest. In fact, in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation 4, 8, don't worry, Tony, it's not in there. And it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Oftentimes whenever we hear worship songs that repeat over and over and over the same thing, it can get like a bit redundant. But we're not going to like heaven if we don't like singing about God's holiness over and over and over. Because it says, Day and night they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because that's all we're going to do is glorify the Lord in everything that we do, right? There's this quote by A.W. Tozer that talks about holiness and how hard it is for us to understand. He says, Holiness is almost unfathomable, right? Or indescribable, using words because we are fallen people and even our whitest garments are a dingy gray in the presence of a holy God. He's saying we—it's hard for us to explain holiness because even in our in our most purest moments, it's like a dingy gray before the holiness of God, right? It's so hard for us to to fathom, but in the in, in God's word, He actually—it's—they don't even use like descriptives to be able to explain God's holiness. A lot of times they use like images of fire and of smoke and and all these images to express the holiness of God, like thunder and things like that for us to understand who God is and how holy, how righteous he is, right? And oftentimes, if you go through scripture and I'm, we're about to run through a bunch of scripture, you don't, have to, you don't have to turn in your Bibles, we're about to run through a lot to see how the holiness of God affects the people. But oftentimes the response by people when they they see the holiness of God is that they would fall on their faces or they would repent in seeing his holiness. In fact, in Exodus three, one through six, this is talking about Moses and the burning bush. He says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mount of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and the fire in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. Verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called, him, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. He said, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God. Exodus 19:16 through 19 says on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and every loud trumpet blast so that all the people of the camp trembled then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Exodus 33, 17-23 says, And the Lord said to Moses, the, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. This is Moses saying, I want to see the glory of God, right? It says in verse 18 Moses Moses said, "Please show me your glory and he said, "I will make all my goodness pass before you and you will pro- and, and will proclaim you my name, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but he said, "'You cannot see my face, for, for man shall not see me and live.' And the Lord said, "'Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but, not, but my face shall not be seen.' Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He said, no one can see God and live because of my glory, because of my holiness. Exodus 34, 5 through 9 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. I need a beatbox for that sorry uh, to the third and fourth generation and look at verse 8 it says and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped at the revelation of God it says that Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped and he said now I have found favor in your sight O oh Lord please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance Isaiah 6, 1-5 through 5 says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And, and, with, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory it says in verse 4 that the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke look at look at isaiah's response in verse 5 he said woe is me for i am lost for i'm a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts this is this is isaiah's response to getting a glimpse of the glory of god he sees his sin and he repents of his sin immediately Ezekiel one, twenty-six through twenty-eight, he says, And above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne, and the appearance of like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness with a human appearance, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of the fire, and closed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it, and were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. So was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. Paul get a glint, gets blinded by a light and he falls to the ground. And verse 4, because he heard a voice who was saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Revelation 1:17, This is John's revelation of the Lord. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Listen, God is not dope. You know those shirts that say God is dope? God's not dope. Jesus is not your homeboy. God is the holy, righteous creator of the universe who righteously judges man. And when we think about the holiness of God, we should tremble. God is holy. He is to be feared. He is to be revered. And he should be worshipped. He should be worshipped by us because he deserves it. He created you. He gives the very breath in your lungs. Everything that you have is from God. Your salvation, your life, your breath, everything is from God, and he deserves all the glory that is due. And yet we minimize him. Jesus says our first request is that God would be made holy in our lives. John Piper says that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The reality is is that there are millions of people in this world who worship someone other than God, and we are called to go take the good news of the gospel to them, not just because we love them, but because we, got, because we believe that God deserves the worship of them. They're worshiping something other than God, and God deserves their worship, and in love we go and we take the good news of the gospel because we, we believe that they should worship The God, the creator of the universe, because in that they will find life. Are you all with me? So oftentimes we say, okay, so we have a holy God and a father, right? So how do we reconcile those two? Like, it seems like holiness and father are irreconcilable. But they're not, right? God created us to make his name holy in the way that we live. Did you know that? God's calling on us as believers is to live in a way that we make God holy, right? If you look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your, your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You see what he's saying? Peter says, the God who is holy called you to be holy as he is holy. To be holy in your conduct. You shall be holy for I am holy. Holy. Verse 17 says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Like a lamb without blemish or spot, he foreknew before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter is saying that you need to prepare your minds for action. Live sober-minded, set your hope on the revelation of Jesus Christ, and then live obediently to your Father and live in holiness as a reflection of God's holiness for a lost world around you, right? So we, as we live our lives, we're not living out in obligation, wanting to live in purity, wanting to live in holiness because we're obligated to. We're wanting to because we want to reflect the holiness of God in our own lives. We're leaving behind our past life when we come to Christ, right? Right? That's what he said, because you were bought with the blood of Christ. You've been ransomed with the blood of Jesus. So leave that behind. He's forgiven it. He's washed it away. Why would we go back to that when we have a new life to be lived in Christ, in the holiness of God, reflecting our holy, righteous Father? As a church, I want us to be a church that that longs to live out the whole, like a reflection of the holiness of God. That as we leave this place like we would say god please be made holy in the way that i live is that our prayer is that how we start in the morning we approach the throne of grace and say father be made holy in me or do we get straight to our lists of things i believe that god will transform your life the way that you live and the way that you see the way that you speak the the things that you do when your prayer life is longing to reflect the holiness of God and for God's holiness to be made known in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces to reflect the holiness of God in our lives. Last thing I want you to see, last thing we will be done is that Jesus fulfills our desires for a perfect and holy father. Jesus fulfills our desires for a perfect, holy father father right so oftentimes our culture says the god of the old testament is nothing like the god of the new testament right like i can i can deal with the god of the new testament who's love and grace and perfect but not the god of the old testament i want you to know that god is always is never changing right as we read from psalm 103 that we have a gracious heavenly father right who we who we serve who who loves us right But in the New Testament, Jesus reveals to us who God is, right? He says to his disciples, if you want to know God, know me. If you want to know who God is, look at me. And not only that, Jesus has made a way for us to approach a holy and righteous God with confidence in prayer. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then... He's saying that they're like, listen, we have a high priest who was tempted and overcame sin, who did not sin, who now covers us in his blood when we place him We'll place our faith in Jesus. And now, whenever we approach God, we, God looks at us through the lens of the blood of Jesus, right? It's not our own holiness, our own righteousness, but it's the blood of Jesus that covers us. So we can approach God with confidence that Jesus paid it. It's done. The penalty for sin has been paid for us. Romans 8 verse 1 says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's why we can stand boldly in the presence of a heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally, not because we lived right or lived perfectly, but because Jesus did. So when you wake up in the morning with the the dirt from yesterday, you can confess your sin freely to a holy God and know that the blood of Jesus washes you clean that you don't have to hide from him in prayer, but you can approach him and confess your sin. Yes, repent of that sin, but you don't have to hide in guilt and shame, but you can confess it to a loving and holy God because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Isn't that powerful? Jesus reconciles the idea of a perfect and heavenly father who is also holy and we can approach him with confidence. I want us to be a church that prays like this. Where we confidently pray. Where we confidently pray. When we have a decision to make, when we run into people on the street, at the gas station, whenever we see people's needs, we, we stop. Our first inclination is to stop and to pray. When we wake up in the morning, we can't wait to pray. When we open our eyes, the first thing we say is, God, Father, thank you for a new day. Make your name holy in me. It's the first thing that we do before our feet even hit the ground when we get out of bed. Pray, God, make your name holy today. Do you think that we can respond to that as a church? That we would or could be a church that believes in the power of prayer? I believe that God wants to do immeasurable things in our lives in this church, in your life. And I believe that begins when you start to pray. I'm so excited for the next few weeks just to see how God moves in power through his prayers and through his word. I want you to come expecting God to do something powerful in this place. Would you pray? Let's pray. God, you are good. Father, the fact that you are listening to the words that we are all saying right now in our hearts, these words right now is humbling. God, give us a glimpse of your holiness. And God, may we approach you in confidence of what Jesus has done. I pray, Lord, that each person in this room, their lives would be transformed by prayer. I pray that you would transform this church through prayer, that you would transform Arlington, the neighborhood around us, by prayer that you would reach the city of Jacksonville through prayer. God, that the state of Florida would be transformed because of prayer. You are good, you are loving, and you are holy, and we praise you. Your holy and precious name I pray, amen. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of invitation. Um, If you don't have a relationship with God and you haven't known God like this as a loving father, I'm going to be down here. There will be other leaders around that will help you if you have questions about how to start a relationship with your heavenly father through a relationship with Jesus. Um, We'd like today to be the day where you become a child of God. Um, So if you have questions about that, Uh, come forward I'd love to talk to you about that if you want to join Arlington um, this is my first Sunday too Um, if you haven't joined uh, welcome Uh, we can grow together Um, but this is a place where we want to see life uh, happen people transformed by the good news of Jesus and to serve our community well um, and to live on mission for him and for his glory Um, love to see how that works out Uh, we'd love to have you a part you're a part of the church and we'd love to have you join Maybe you just need a time of prayer. Want to come down and pray? Maybe your prayer life hasn't been um, what it what it needs to be, and you'd like to just come and spend some designated time. The altar's open for you, but I'll be down here and love to be able to talk with you um, as uh, Pastor Spencer leads us in worship.
1: the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. change the key. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Song, to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. of lightning, rolls of thunder. Blessing and honor, strength and glory and power be. To you the only wise king. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. wonder at the mention of your name jesus your name is power breath and living water such a marvelous mystery and holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come with all creation i sing praise to the king of kings you are my everything and i will adore you let's just sing that to him one more time our Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come with all creation I sing praise to the king of kings you are my everything and I will adore you
2: So as we end today, uh, one of the things that was brought to my mind, I'm reading a book called Holier Than Thou uh, by Jackie O'Perry. It's a great book. Um, In one of the sections, she she quotes 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, like, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself and he casts your cares. And we were talking about this idea of holiness. As we go, she says that when we search for God, we're only going to find truth. When we search for God, we're only going to find light. And we serve a God who cannot be apathetic to us. And his promises are always true. And so as we pray, as we read scripture, as we worship, as we do life, we are always going to find the truth of who God is that he cares for us. In our deepest and darkest times, when we've run or we're close, he still cares for us. And so that's one of the truths I want you to take today is that he is so holy, he cannot go against his character. We will only find truth in who God is. And as we pray, as we seek to be a church that prays, as we seek to be a church that does everything through Scripture, he can never be apathetic towards me. And I love that idea. As we cast our cares on him, he cares for us. And so I hope that as we go today that we remember that prayer should be a central focus for us. And as we do that, we, seek, we will see the truth of who God is more and more each day. And so let's pray.